welcome CP to the Tech Mahindra podcast. Uh, this podcast is part of our uh, what we call the candid conversations with our Tech Mahindra leadership team. And this series focuses not just on our leaders' uh, current status and strength, uh, but also on the journey they've had so far. Uh, so your personal stories, your individual learnings, your success mantras, your key influencers, your challenges, uh, we want to hear them all. Uh, so I hope you're ready for this short session with you called Candid Conversations. I'd never done a podcast before this, so uh, I'm looking forward to adding a new skill to my own CV that I have done a podcast with Vrinda. <laughs> All right, so let's get started then. So CP, from 20,000 associates or so when you joined to 120,000 associates today, the past 15 years or more at TechM have been an enriching experience very clearly for you, right? So if you were to pick uh, some of the key highlights and the key learnings from this entire journey, what would they be? When I joined in 2004 and the few things which have not changed, I used to report to Genevieve that time and I still report to Genevieve. And uh, the second part is we were about 5,000 employees in 2004 and we are now about 125,000 employees. And uh, if you would recall, we were two centers. One was Chandivili and one was Sharda Center. Uh, since then, we've grown to multiple cities, multiple countries, multiple campuses, and it's been good fun. Now, what is the fundamental part? The fundamental part is it was not about how many employees we have. It was what was the culture then? And when I spoke about Genevieve, it was just to give you a illustration that the culture then was group of people would be playing cricket with a tennis ball and for people like me who are working late, would suddenly see some downstairs. And, you know, I think the fun was I could go down and play with them. Now, when I go look forward, I, I try, but I'm not, you know, as involved as I, or as engaged as I used to be. I mean, I would still love to you know, for example, there is a walkathon being organized by the Josh Pune. And I volunteered that I will come and walk 21 kilometers with the groups. Can I do this in Bangalore, in Hyderabad, or in, uh, you know, every city where we have offices? You know where the answer is. But what I would like to retain is the culture part of it the culture of building relationships, the culture of what I call my own, for want of better words, lessons that have driven me every day, which is have fun while you work. You know, give respect to others, kindness and compassion, collaboration and gratitude, will make you a better person. And I hope, I mean, as I look into the future, if when I look at the whole pyramid of people, I just hope they remember 
that fun at workplace is not just doing a dancing competition. Fun is about the way we treat each other. The fun is in the way we are able to live like an extended family. So 5,000 or 125,000, at least I try and live with the same value that I lived when I was at 5,000 uh, people. I hope I am, I continue to do it. You know, back at home, you know, with two kids, all these youngsters who come in, I end up calling them beta beta, which at a multicultural diverse, diverse company, I don't think my foreign colleagues understand this concept of beta or every kid calling the second guy an uncle. But those are minor challenges at work. But uh, in general, I would say sustaining relationship at work or outside has been my mantra and I would continue to strive for that. Thanks, CP. Uh, so, which actually brings up to my follow-up question. Uh, I know you did say nothing really has changed much for you over the past 15, 20 in terms of your own personal, uh, you know, attitude to work. But since you graduated from college to this day as a CEO, and that's been decades of, you know, learning and experience, uh, what is that single most thing you feel hasn't changed for you or maybe even for the industry in the past 30, 35 years? If you were to ask me, the 50 things I would love to talk one of these days, what has changed? Whether it is internet or whether it is the movies or the... Now let me try and visualize both from a work point of view and from a, you know, a leisure point of view, uh, what has not changed. And trust me, I know 50 things what have changed. From a work point of view, to prepare for a meeting, to, you know, one had to go to a library. There used to be these public libraries in every city. Uh, in certain places, they were called Suchana Kendra or, you know, whatever they were called. Today, that library is right in front of you. So you don't have to read manuals, you don't have to read books to prepare for your meetings the next day because the information is available to you. But what has not changed is people like me still like to look at my diary for the next day and prepare for those meetings for the next day. And I still remember, you know, where, you know when my kids were growing up, I used to always ask them, what's your timetable for tomorrow? And they would, you know, in general, do tell me that they have this class. No, I said, I want to see the timetable. I want to see the way you packed your bag. And I want to see if you are ready for that. My son being who he is, he said, I want to see your bag first. <laughs> right? uh, why don't you show me your timetable? And it honestly, I used to show him my timetable and I used to tell him how I prepared. So my point is the basics of, you know, being ready for a meeting, the basics of working for it hasn't really changed. If you are disciplined about it, if you're not disciplined and you want to, I go out with uh, some of my field engineers, sales guys, I mean, we actually prepare for a meeting by, you know, pressing a few things on their smartphone and then suddenly asking, because I would ask them those questions. 
oh, am I meeting the chairman of Steel Authority of India Limited? Yeah. When did she graduate? How many children does she have? And they would be struggling and finding it on the Google. So my point is different people, but for me, that has not changed. Number two, the even when I was a student, uh, there used to be a restaurant which was, there was a few, you know, uh, shanty restaurants. Uh, they were at the boundary of the college. I step out of the campuses here and I see all these, uh, you know, the roadside stalls. You can provide the best food in your cafeteria, but the food outside is always more appealing. It hasn't changed as far as I'm concerned. You know, I see the number of people having vada pao outside every office of ours, and I know that somehow that mobile oil uh, fried egg is better than the olive oil fried egg that we serve in our canteen. It's probably our immunity booster as well. <laughs> so I think, again, people are people. They like to relate with people. People have this innate desire to step out and discover the unknown. People will also, some people will take shortcuts, some people will take long cuts. The tools may change, the traffic may change. I mean, I know, Vrinda, you grew up in a world where you flew on Concords. We grew up in a world where we could traveled by a passenger train which we used to take two days to travel thousand kilometers. But the fact is that people travel and uh, virtual travel is not going to replace the travel. Thank God for some, some things remaining the same. So again, CP, what you spoke now brings me back to, you know, I would call it an almost obsession with staying connected. Uh, and you are, true. I mean, you're very, very clearly a people's person who value connections. And it's even echoed in our, uh, you know, brand philosophy of being a connected world, connected experiences company, right? Now, uh, what I'm sure most of our viewers would also want to know is, does this urge or sense of wanting to stay connected stem from your childhood and college days experiences? Did they in some way shape and fuel this, you know, this obsession, like I call it, to stay connected? I mean, I have a lot of obsessive disorders, but I didn't know you call this also a disorder. It's, it's, it's a good idea. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that uh, you get away with murder and this time you will because you are, you know, about a thousand miles away from me. So I strongly believe that people will live in communities and tribes. Just for the philosophical reason, go back, you know, Adam and Eve, whatever. But even if you think the most important word in the English dictionary is I, but that I created from I to my home, my college, my library, my computer. So the whole point I'm trying to make is very soon it started becoming my family, my children. Then you started creating my community, whether you are a Pishroti or whether you are a 
Agarwal or whether you are a Gupta or whether you are a Smith, you know, and then it became my country, whether you are in, from Ireland or whether you are from Israel, then started becoming what I would call is my hobbies. And at every stage, you kept adding people along with it and your definition kept increasing. Now that has never ever changed. Frankly, I that is where when you look at the politicians, they are the smartest people in connecting with people. Why? Because they go and analyze it to their advantage. They, they actually are the ones which have capitalized on that caste, creed, or community. I mean, here Bihar elections. Oh, Yadav will vote for a Yadav. Why am I talking about this? Because I'm just letting you know that why would a American election borrow the same? Why would people expect that a Biden Harris, uh, uh, sorry, a Biden Kamala Harris uh, ticket may win? Is because they say, oh, it is more diverse. So I don't know. Yes, I enjoy being with people, and I will make it a point that I will not be eating alone. So I, if I were to say uh, what drives me, it is because I think with people together, we can accomplish a lot of things and they are far greater than what any individuals can do. And I have tried to rally on that strength of the people and to understand their perspective, I never eat alone. Thanks. Cheers to those many, many more shared meals, Sipi. <laughs> Looking forward to it. So yes, uh, now we, we, I want to talk a uh, touch up a little upon uh, COVID. Okay, now uh, it's changed the world is an understatement, uh, but it's also in a sense brought new leaders to the fore, right? And uh, you have written about peacetime leaders and wartime generals and the need, the you know, the absolute need to switch from being one to the other. So you want to talk a little bit about that aspect? This is my favorite topic because leadership on one level remains the same. Leadership is, you cannot be a leader if you have no followers. Leadership style may change. For example, in my style is what I call a panchayat method of leadership. That means I don't take decisions all alone. I always involve a group of people. And in India, because the traditional village was run by five people elected called panchayat. I call my leadership style as a panchayat style of leadership. On an individual level, I like to be a parent to my people because if they are in trouble, I want to feel the pain. I want to be able to give them that comfort that with me around, I mean, they can take me for granted. So this is one way of looking at life. Now, which is what I call every individual's basics. They will have their own style and different people will define their own leadership styles. But 
organizations require a different urgency at different times so yes covid is equal to crisis crisis is equal to uncertainty and at uncertainty you need a different general so i have to switch myself from being a peacetime general to a wartime general and what does a wartime general mean is that you have what is called the war room war room is why because you are constantly monitoring the situation you are taking decisions on behalf of hundreds of people in war room a peacetime general would say process let the process follow and let other people take their decisions peacetime leader knows the big picture is not going to change a peacetime general is looking at plan a then he will say i will write a contingency plan called plan b a wartime general knows there is no plan a and plan b there is only one plan let's go ahead and execute it now i mean i know you are a you know you have a foji at home you may you might say that he will always be a in civil clothes but the point again is even his behavior as a doctor changes when you are in a war mode or when you are in a peace time mode i can only say is there are a peace time leader is probably in our method of working is trying to expand the market whereas war time general is actually trying to protect the market that he already has a peace time leader is looking at harmony and trying to minimize conflict a wartime general has no time for managing conflicts so i think a basic word says a peace time general is trying to take a pole position and is willing to take a few steps to get to that pole position wartime general comes to the business with only one aim i have to survive to live another day i know i can talk a lot more uh, but i can only tell you is all of us in particular today's environment are fighting a common enemy a common enemy is that bug which is called coronavirus and that bug may be impacting my clients businesses hence we all need to rally together to fight the common enemy thanks thanks ep so one last uh, second last follow up question actually to the covid uh, bit is uh, any key learnings that you would want to share with young entrepreneurs who are out there in the world i think you had tweeted something about this new line of you know food industry that's come up where you had to do it comes home so i'm sure there are very many similar such uh, businesses which have spawned during the lockdown or as a result of the lockdown it's not entrepreneurs it's all of us i don't remember the exact saying what is that the saying says something when god closes the door he still leaves the window shuts open opens closes one door he opens another yeah yeah so anyway the point is there is always a window of opportunity and 
it's for us to find that window of opportunity. Have a look at it. Now, does it mean that the like a movie got shut by a Netflix? Or Netflix was the opportunity for the movie industry. So I am sure every each one of us as a businessman, we practiced it in our own way. As I said, I work in a panchayat method, so I consulted a lot of people when our doors were shut. We invited Shilpa and Bhushan Patil to set up what was called the growth opportunities in COVID. And you know, in the first six months, they did about $80 million of business. We acknowledged, we gave them the awards. Why? Because they were more agile, they were leaner, they were fitter, and they were able to take advantage of what is otherwise the one of the biggest social tragedies in the world. True. So many, many examples, but again, I get I get to take all the credit while all the work is done by a woman called Shilpa. Great. So, CB, one last question before I move to my favorite round, and you know what that is, the rapid fire round. Uh, but one last question before we do that. Uh, you've been an active advocate of uh, celebrating failures, right? Uh, now, what would you say has been, if at all, uh, uh, a big failure in you know in your corporate life so far, and how did you deal with it? I mean, one of those lucky guys, I would say, I've never had a failure in my life. I mean, the reason I'm saying I never had a failure is because there's this guy called Amitabh Bachchan. Every day he comes on the screen these days. And he has this Kaun Banega Karodapati, uh, which means who wants to be a millionaire. And uh, his tagline for this uh, 2020 serial is, uh, every setback is equal to comeback. So to me, that has been the tagline of my life. It is just that Amitabh Bachchan borrowed it from me. Great. So I'll, I'll use that segue to ask you my rapid fire questions. And my first question is probably related to Amitabh Bachchan. It would be, uh, what would be your favorite movie quote or dialogue? <laughs> I think being a Indian Jew called Sindhi, when uh, I don't know which movie was it, is that I don't have And my, my rejoinder was, I don't Because that is an opportunity. Absolutely. You are the guru to many, right? Now, who would you say is your guru? I think I know the answer to this one, but yes, go ahead. No, Virila, you are my guru because you uh, teach me English. <laughs> and uh, I mean, don't ask for Guru Dakshina. That's all I can tell you. Hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, I learned from, I honestly, if I have to leave one lesson for anybody, if you ever want to become somebody, don't forget that you will, you need to be a, a, a learner all your life. The moment you stop learning and you think you have arrived, that is the end. That's the reverse slope you are going to slip down. So even as an organization, my prayer to all of, us, all of us is, while we keep talking about customer centricity, employee centricity, you know, tech centricity, I think if you want to achieve something, remain a learning organization. 
remain a learning guy. And uh, so my gurus have changed in the senses that different people, I look at them and I admire them for many things. I actually tend to reflect a lot on what they say or how they behave. I read a lot of biographies and that's how really I built my own life. So many people that are my gurus, obviously my first gurus are my parents. Uh, nobody can take their place, uh, but I can also promise you is that my kids have beaten me to shape. My wife uh, still finds nothing right in me. So it's been 33 years. I'm still trying to prove to her that I'm okay. And the journey continue. Yeah, so one thing that uplifts you every time, every day, come what may. I think it is always this seeing a child, a child in a grown-up man, a child in my colleagues, a child in a physical avatar, because that innocence, that desire for discovery, that affectionate smile, I think I just look look for that child in a human being. I look for that child in a situation. And as a matter of fact, the only reason I think and nothing can replace that joy for me. Sure. I like curiosity. Thanks. Your latest spontaneous buy. Latest spontaneous man. I'm still uh, trying to figure out why. So last weekend, I got into this mode that I need to replace my phone. So between an Apple 12 and a Samsung Galaxy Fold, mm -hmm. I mean, the damn thing costs about $2,000. And because I'm still trying to figure it out, what, uh, <laughs> what this is, I'm also questioning why did I buy it? So what did you buy finally? It is called a Galaxy Fold. Oh, great. Okay, and um, if you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Vinda, you. Oh. I mean, ask, ask <laughs> silly questions and, uh, you know, you get... have a good food. I mean, what else? I mean, and you get paid for it. Absolutely. Okay, if you could choose your nickname, what would it be? Moj Masti. Who would play you, and this is your last question, who would play you in a movie about your life? My life, who will play me? That's a, why not me? But if you really want uh, somebody to play, I like this. Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I never thought about it. It's a difficult question for me. Why don't you give me an answer? Who you think can play me? Rajni Kant. Who else? Okay, CP, thank you so much. It's been It's really been a very interesting session and I'm sure there's a lot of learning here. And yes, I have think fun. If I were to really look back, that Jhalla villager called Dharminder, mm -hmm. I know he's 84 years old, but if you were to honestly ask me, Dharminder minus 100 years, I think I am the Jhalla villager. Okay, great. We'll ensure yeah. we organize a recipe also. So thanks, 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 uh, CP, again, uh, as usual, always an insightful and yes, ent entertaining conversation. I'm sure our viewers will be very happy to hear this. Uh, thank you so much for having been on the show. Thank you. All right, thank you, Vinda.